นมูตสาบกวทัวรหัตัวสมมาสัมบุตสานมูตสาบกวทัวรหัตัวสมมาสัมบุตสานมูตสาบกวทัวรหัตัวสมมาสัมบุตสาพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสเรื่องที่เราทำอยู่ในชีวิตของเราคือการที่เราทำอยู่ในชีวิตของเราคือการที่เราทำอยู่ในชีวิตของเราคือการที่เราทำอยู่ในชีวิตของเราคือการที่เ
in any given moment that spoils life. I mean, life is like this. This is reality. The Buddha lived in the same space that we live in, and the Buddha didn't suffer. All the great enlightened beings, the monks, the nuns, the lay people who have realized Dhamma, have lived in the same space, the same world, walked on the same planet that we do, eaten the same food that we eat, and they didn't suffer. What's the difference? They stopped doing what we're still doing, which is grasping at things that we shouldn't grasp at. And so this, um, seeing this on the, on the Facebook about uh, this emphasis on liking, and also on other Buddhist websites I've noticed where there are Dhamma talks that you can listen to and you can rate them. You know, do you like it or do you not like it? And how much do you like it? One star, two star, three star, four star? And, uh, you know, is that what we want to encourage? And I don't think so. I know right now, Samanira Gambiro and I are, are working hard to get a, a new website ready for going live next Friday called forestsungapublications.org. And it'll make all the books, well, most of the books that we produce in our community, our worldwide community of Ajahn Chah's monasteries, available as EPUBs, so people can now download them onto their Kindle and their e-book reader and, and their smartphone and so on. And also, it will also have all the audio files. And So this, uh, there's this facility for rating Dhamma talks that some other sites promote. And when I stop and feel what's going on there with, with exercising your opinion, your preference for Dhamma talks. Is that really resonant? Is that really what our study of Dhamma is about? I don't think so. We, of course we have views and opinions, and of course it matters. I mean, if the teacher is talking a load of codswallop, well, you, know, you, you want to know, that's a load of codswallop. That's all right. You don't have to pretend it's not codswallop when it is codswallop. But that, I think where we, where we don't recognize preference, where we don't recognize preference as preference, I think that's the point. Where we don't recognize liking as liking and disliking as just disliking, when we don't see these for what they are, then we get lost. Then we create problems. And so having Facebook accounts are okay, having websites are okay, but uh, what's not okay, if we're interested in being free from suffering, is where our use of these tools uh, causes us to get lost in liking and disliking. There's a verse in the Dhammapada, which um, many of you will have come across. I think it's verse 213, I think, which... Uh, says that out of affection comes sorrow, out of affection comes fear. Being free from affection, sorrow ceases. So how can there be any fear? That's 213. And I think 212 is out of endearment comes sorrow, out of endearment comes fear. Being free from endearment, sorrow ceases. So how could there be any fear? Now, I think for some people, when they read that, they just want to flip the page and go to another verse because you think, oh, yeah, what is he talking about? You know, I, I don't want to be free from affection. I want to have affection. Yeah. I want to have endearment. Yeah. Yeah. The Buddha didn't talk codswallop, not at all. 
uh, everything you said was relevant and meaningful. So what was he talking about? Being free from affection, being free from endearment means sorrow ceases, so how could there be any fear? I think it comes down to the way, and this is why I wanted to discuss it tonight, the way we view the experience of preference. We all have preferences. A couple of weeks ago I, I mentioned to you how I was investigating my preference, my liking, my fondness, my, my affection for the space that I normally live in, my kuti. The monks here very generously decided they wanted to redecorate my kuti as a birthday present, so they kindly said, Venerable Sir, please go and live somewhere else for the next two weeks, and turfed me out. And so I've been living in a temporary accommodation for the last two weeks. And I've coped okay, I've managed okay, yeah, I feel quite okay about how well I've done, but I did feel it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm attached to that space. I like that space. So is liking the space the problem? Now, some things are just likable. Some things are dislikable. You know, some things are agreeable. Some things are inherently disagreeable. Certain smells are definitely disagreeable. Certain smells are agreeable. Do we have to somehow block our senses off? Is this what's meant? by not holding anything dear or not having affection, is to block our senses off so we don't feel anything? I don't think so. So the question really is how we have our liking and our disliking. In the talk I gave last week, I was mentioning that there's no experience that's really worth having which, taken out of context, could sound like a bit of an extreme statement. But what I was pointing to was the way my teacher, Ajahn Chah, used to talk about having. He would say, me de yahayman me. Me means to have. Me de yahayman me. Hai me, my me. Which means have, but don't have. Make having, not having. Make having and not having the same thing. In other words, where we have something, if we have it in the right way, there's no problem. The problem is when we have things in the wrong way. And so liking can arise. It can be agreeable weather. And there's a sense that this is agreeable. Does that have to be a problem? No. The Buddha did the same thing. Sat in the morning sun sunning his back. So he was suffering from arthritis in his old age and so he sat and sat with his back towards the sunrise, warming himself in the morning. It was agreeable. Or he'd seek out nice places, the bamboo grove, to go and sit meditation, the mango grove to sit meditation because it was an agreeable situation. However, when the food ran out and the company was thoroughly disagreeable and the situation was disagreeable, did the Buddha suffer? No. So it's not the problem with the experience, it's how we have the experience. And this, of course, comes down to the basic view we have, but also the training that we undertake. Yeah. We're always going to keep defaulting to our habitual ways of having experience, which is taking sides, for and against. Yeah. Grasping at what we like, and then inadvertently grasping at what we don't like, 
We'd like to just grasp at what we like and let go of what we don't like, but it doesn't tend to work that way. Uh, we, work at, we grasp at one, we grasp at the other. We grasp at feelings, we grasp at feelings, full stop. And I remember there was a situation where a, um, a man from Bangkok, actually he was the uh, Thai, ex-Thai United Nations ambassador, and he was in a very uh, sad state. He was um, some terrible grief that he was suffering from. And, and he asked Ajahn Chah about the middle way. Well, he came to see Ajahn Chah to see if he could find some solace and in his grief, and he, he asked Ajahn Chah, he said, what, what is this middle way the Buddha teaches that's supposed to be free from suffering? And Ajahn Chah says, well, attaching to liking is one extreme, attaching to disliking is the other extreme. In the middle is the knowing. And of course, he was, Ajahn Chah was referring to what that discourse I just mentioned a minute ago, the Dhammachaka Sutta, the first discourse the Buddha gave, where the Buddha said, Atta-gila-matana-yogo is one extreme and karma sukhani kani yogo is the other extreme. Attachment to sensual pleasure, karma sukhani kani yogo is one extreme. Atta-gila-matana-yogo, attaching to self, well, basically self-mortification is the other extreme. But in the middle, he said, there's a middle way. We don't have just these two alternatives. There is another option. We don't have to grasp at liking and disliking. When liking and disliking arise, we can be in the middle. We can stay in the middle, and that's what the training's about. We're sitting meditation a minute ago with a presence in the body, training attention to come back, to being present, being with this moment, not just as a concentration exercise. That's interesting, and you can intensify the mind and have some interesting things happen uh, through concentration, but this is an exercise primarily in mindfulness where we're watching. We're watching the behavior of the mind. When, you, when we do this, like you exercise this, paying attention to the breath or the sound of silence and the mind wanders and it comes back. When you remember, you come back again. And then what do you do? You judge yourself, you complain and say, it shouldn't be this way. Actually, in that moment of watchfulness, if they're mindful, we say, we've got a choice. We don't have to have an opinion about the fact the mind just wandered. We're back again. We've remembered again. We begin again. We have already begun again. If we get lost in liking and disliking, then when we're concentrated and we're present and we're alert, the mind is bright and it feels good, we like this, the good feeling arises, we like that, and we lose ourselves in it and we grasp at it, well, then when the mind wanders and we aren't there anymore, we've lost the sense of presence, lost the vitality, lost the aliveness, we grasp at the disliking, we say it shouldn't be this way, and so that's what we have flip-flopping between liking and disliking, liking, getting lost in liking, getting lost in disliking. In fact, the way that I translated this verse, uh, 213 uh, and 212, in uh, my, my rendering of the Dhammapada for contemplation, I rendered it as getting lost in affection leads to sorrow. Getting lost and affection leads to fear. Because I think that's what's implied. And the, the scholars would probably criticise me for putting that little twist on it, but I think that's really what's implied by the verse. Yes, out of sorrow, out of affection comes sorrow. That's true, but it's not, it's not affection itself that's a problem. It's not liking itself that's a problem. It's the way we relate to liking and disliking that's a problem. In the... Uh, Sin Sin Ming, the, uh, on, uh, it's a treatise on 
the spiritual life by the great Chinese master Sen Sun, so called On Trusting in the Heart. Ajahn Vajira this morning quoted it to us at breakfast. And there's a, there's a verse in there which says, Setting up liking against disliking, this is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of the way of things is not understood, peace of mind is disturbed to no avail. So it's what we do with the liking and the disliking is a problem. Setting up liking against disliking, this is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of the way of things is not understood, the peace of mind is disturbed to no avail. All of our activity in regards to liking and disliking is basically irrelevant. It's a waste of time until the deep meaning of the way of things is understood. We just go round and round in circles. We like this, we don't like that. We we get things that are agreeable for a while and then they change, they become disagreeable. So it's our relationship to agreeability and disagreeability that really matters. So if we have that view, if we understand that principle, and then we can train ourselves to keep coming back, keep coming back, to let go of liking, to let go of... Not because we've got a problem with pleasure or we've got a problem with pain, but because we're interested in being free in the middle of pleasure and pain. Can we live in this world with all the delight, all the joy, all the beauty, all the pleasure, without getting lost in liking? Because if we can't, well then we don't have an option but to get lost in all the sorrow, the sadness, the grief, the pain and despair and the disliking, which is a very sad story, which is the reality for a lot of people. But the Buddhist message is that it doesn't have to be this way, that there is this option of the middle way where we can exercise attention to see this movement. Liking is a movement. It's not an ultimate condition. We've been following liking and disliking for so long that we can think that it's an ultimate condition. We really believe in it. Or like indignation or delight. The opposite. You often hear uh, people talking. It's on the news. Or I just, I just, I'm so angry about that. I just feel so angry about that. And and you know they're clearly unhappy. And I, when I hear that, I, I feel kind of embarrassed. I mean, that's that's embarrassing to confess that you're so caught up in something. I mean, why would you you know announce that in public? Really, that you're you're so lost in your your mood. It's, it's okay, obviously, it's okay to feel the despair, to feel detest, to feel dislike. But do we have to get lost in it? There, there, are, there are conditions that no matter how hard we try, we can't avoid. They're just, that's the conditioned world. Some things are likable, some things are dislikable. I know that um, I find the weather in this country, very agreeable. I lived in Thailand for five years, and um, I learned a lot in Thailand. I benefited hugely from my time in Thailand. But I remember after five years, when I got off the plane, I was en route to New Zealand, I got off in Sydney, and uh, I suddenly realized my brain started working again. I'd been brain dead for the last five years. I was brought up in a temperate climate. That's, you know, I don't find the tropics actually agreeable. Okay, they can be nice, it's kind of you know, a little sunshine, 
nobody's going to complain about that. But day after day after day and no seasons change and no frosts and no autumn and my system doesn't find that agreeable. And so there's going to be always going to be conditions that are agreeable or disagreeable. What matters is surely is how we relate to them. Now if we don't even intuit or suspect that there is the middle way, well then, of course, the natural default is towards just maximizing on the agreeable. Yeah. How can we make our life more pleasant? You know, go to shopping more often, get more money, download more agreeable audio files or, or videos or, or whatever, faster, uh, on a better gadget. And yet, if we do that, where does it take us? Now, because if, if we don't hear the wisdom teachings which quicken an interest in considering, investigating another alternative, then we can just think, well, it's a sad story, basically. This thing being born as a human being. You know, there's all these treats, all these temptations, but you get lost in those, and the next thing you know, you know, you're feeling all jaded and worn out and nothing really makes you feel alive anymore, and so you turn to some other more intense hit, or other, and, and life gets more and more boring as you get older. Somebody asked me recently, how does it feel to become 60? And I just think it's great. You know, I just think being 60 is absolutely great. Now, of course, you know, the joints are not great and I'm taking more glucosamine and, and so on, you know, and that's all, <laughs> that's natural. Yeah, I go to see the doctor a little bit more often. But the whole overall experience of being 60 is great. Uh, being a Buddhist monk for 35 or 36 years and uh, this continual encouragement to seek the middle way, to look for the middle way, to consider, to investigate this alternative, this place between liking and disliking, Mean, actually means that there's a real benefit to getting older. You know, the mind becomes more peaceful. You know, okay, there are some disagreeable conditions, but one doesn't believe so much in the temptations of life. And the fact that food doesn't taste as delicious and I don't hear so well anymore and I, I need to renew my glasses from time to time, so what? That's not the main point. That's That's... That's the body, that's the stuff, or as we were saying last week, that's the content. That's the content. You know, that's all the stuff, all the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, mental impression. That's all the experiences. But what's the context? In what is all this taking place? What is it that sees the arising and passing away of all these experiences? What is it that knows there is old age, there is birth, sickness, old age and death? What is it that knows that? That's the middle way. That's the place in between liking and dis disliking. That's the awareness that is the context of all experience. So if we have this view, then we don't have to be threatened by liking and disliking. And people, some people, you like them. So what? It's not something you want to advertise. I mean, getting lost in liking something, somebody is embarrassing. You know, somebody else, what's wrong? Because you don't like somebody doesn't mean to say they're bad. Just because I don't like certain types of food doesn't mean to say it's bad food. I mean, other people love that food, and that's fine. I mean, 
Everybody's got somebody that they love them, just that I don't happen to like them, so what? We don't want to get lost in our liking and our disliking. However, the habit, the tendency, the inclination is that we will follow that movement towards getting lost in liking and getting lost in disliking unless we really get this principle that there is a middle way and that getting lost in one means we're going to get lost in the other and there can be no peace. So all of us would like to see peace in the world, of course. All of us would like to see peace inwardly and uh, one way of approaching that peace, one way of cultivating that peace is to consider this principle, this wisdom teaching that the Buddha gave us that that we're not, we're not obliged, we're not victims to the circumstances of our life. There are always going to be agreeable situations, people, thoughts, feelings, smells, sounds, tastes, touches, mental impressions. There's always going to be some agreeable sensation. Even when we're dying, we're in bed, and somebody gives us some morphine, there's going to be a moment of agreeability. Uh, even the most disagreeable situation when we're dying. There's always going to be disagreeable situations. It doesn't matter how wonderful our life is, how beautifully decorated our house is, and how healthy we feel, and how good the weather is, there's going to be a disappointing email that comes in and says that somebody you love has passed away, and it's going to be the experience of loss. So it's not a matter of arranging our life so that we don't have to have disagreeable, dislikable experiences. It's not a matter of just trying to have likeable, agreeable experiences, but to trust in this principle of moving towards the middle way, that place of just knowing, ceasing from setting up like against dislike and inclining towards that awareness which sees the truth of the way things are. So thank you this evening for your attention. <laughs>